Hi, everybody. Today is October the 8th. This is Born on This Day. I'm Amanda Barker. And I'm Bill Antoniou. Oh, my God, Bill. I am so excited. Do you want to know why? Is it National Valley Girl Day? <laughs> Almost. Actually, I'm, I'm using the wrong... <laughs> I'm using the wrong accent. That was part of me as a 12-year-old, but the other part of me, as we all know, is that I was from the South Shore of Massachusetts, and it is National Fluffinutta Day. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you know what a Fluffinutta I is? I do, but I've never had one. It's a, it's a <gasps> marshmallow thing, right? Hell damage. Yeah, well, it's peanut butter and marshmallow. Oh my right. God, I'm craving it as I say it. Believe me when I say I was raised on these. I ate them every single week of my life for the first decade of my life. Yeah. National. Which is why yesterday was National Plus Size Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was building those fat cells early, as you do. National Fluffinutta Day is October the 8th, where we finally pay homage to the childhood sandwich of peanut butter and marshmallow fluff squished between two slices of bread. Fluffinutta holds a special place in the childhood memories of many New Englanders and is memorialized with its own special day on the calendar. So there you go. There's nothing I love more than when you do your Boston accent. I know that people think of the Boston accent as being one of the ugliest in all of America, but I don't know if it's my love of Rana and Beverly or the fact that I go <laughs> to New England all the time, but it actually makes me really happy to hear it. Aww. Yeah. Like I'm one of those ants. That, yeah. Uh, like I can never say the word lobster without saying it lobster. in my bad Boston accent, yeah. <laughs> or think of, or thinking of the guys grabbing my suitcase at the airport, saying, "Are you going to oh, Newburyport? Yeah. Are you yeah, going to Newburyport?" And that's yeah. where you really get it, as yeah. we would say, the blue collar, yeah. the low class, yeah. because it's all class system. So we all try to like well, educate ourselves. Because New England out of it. is a lot like old England in that regard. Yeah, I know. But yeah, it's awful. I mean, I didn't realize how, like, the the worst insult you can say to somebody is that they're low class, and yeah. I didn't really realize that that didn't have the same weight in the rest of the world right. until I moved out of it. Thank yeah. God for me. Cause you're um, from the South shore. How could you know you were trash until you left? <laughs> and I'll tell you when I get angry, when I get ugly and angry and mad, I'm still that person. Oh, I sure. become that person. Yeah. I get very um, different. You know, we all deal with like road rage differently. Yeah. I'm the patronizing one. I'll blow somebody a kiss or smile and wait. Like I, <laughs> I become like you have no class, and you say and you think you're so smart. You apparently, think you're so smart. everyone whose accent has changed. Apparently, it always comes back either when they call their mom or when they get mad. Because <laughs> apparently, Madonna's Michigan accent really comes out whenever she starts to get frustrated about getting the kids in the car. <laughs> yeah, I. That's so, that's exactly it. When I yeah. get really mad, I I become that person in ways I didn't even. And the summer was a real test to it because I had a lot of anger I was dealing with, and I. Which became, is why you need a fluffinutta to calm yeah, you down. Oh my god! If you have it yeah. and two slices, just two slices of like good white bread. And you put marshmallow fluff, in case you don't know what that is, go get yourself some marshmallow fluff. You can eat it right from the from the can. And uh, and just peanut butter. For me, I like chunky peanut butter, but you Amazing. can do it either way. And it's kind of gooey in your mouth, and it sticks to the roof of your mouth, and it kind of smushes with the bread. It's awesome. Nice. Okay. Well, 
People born on October the 8th are level-headed and cannot be swayed by flattery. So good for you, birthday celebrants today. You possess the the usual Libra charm, but you don't trade on it. October 8th, men and women believe in paying attention to details. So they take a little hint from the Virgos there. They are personally ambitious, but they care more about their relationships than any professional enterprise. So there, there you go. And our celebrities celebrating a birthday today. The first is uh, someone I certainly loved as a little kid and everyone my generation did. Paul Hogan had a number of different jobs before his appearance on the Australian show New Faces when he was 33 years old led to his starring on his own sketch show. In the mid-80s, he became an international star when the film Crocodile Dundee became a runaway hit, earning him a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor and an Oscar nomination for Best Screenplay. He followed it with two sequels, as well as the films Almost an Angel, Lightning Jack, and Flipper. He was born on this day in Lightning Ridge, Australia in 1939. Author Frank Herbert came up with a science fiction series that is not only still widely read, but is set for another film adaptation. His novel Dune led to a series of written sequels and was made into a film by Mr. David Lynch in 1984, two miniseries in the 90s, and is currently being remade by Denis Villeneuve. Herbert, or Herbert, I'll say Herbert, was born on this day in Tacoma, Washington in 1920. He died in 1986 at the age of 65. Uh, you did call him Frank Herbert the other day, and I thought it was really funny. I know, I did. I, I, I With you, I always default to whatever's French, because I assume that they're French first and English no, second. No. <laughs> but did we talk about him the other day? Yeah, his because the Dune cinematographer had a birthday right. the other day. Yeah. Yes, that's right. David Yates directed the British miniseries State of Play and the Golden Globe Award winning The Girl in the Cafe before being hired to direct the fourth Harry Potter film. He remained the director of the films until the last one and since then has directed The Legend of Tarzan and the two Harry Potter Fantastic Beasts prequels. He was born on this day in St. Helens, England in 1963. Louise Hay was born in Los Angeles in 1926. She was an American motivational author and the founder of Hay House. She had sold more than 35 million copies of her first self-help book and um, her book, You Can Heal Your Life, very popular book that she's known for, reached 40 million in sales. She did die in her sleep in the morning of August 30th, 2017, at the tender age of 90. If you if you think you know the name Louise Hay, you, you may or may not, but you've probably heard of Hay House um, because they are a podcasting empire, they are a publishing house, and they're all about spiritual, emotional guidance, self-help, and that type of thing, which uh, many people might not know. My husband, Marco Dimpano, is a huge proponent of and fan of. Thank God for the library, or our house would just be filled with (laughs) self-help books. (laughs) Singer and actor Nick Cannon has appeared in Bobby, Chirac, and Berserk, the series All That, and had a run on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He has released two albums and is currently host of The Masked Singer, for which he was nominated for an Emmy Award. He was born on this day in San Diego, California in 1980. This is why I have a hard time with the Emmys. Like, I know he does work, you know, that he does... He works hard, but I have a hard time thinking people from Succession 
uh, you know, <laughs> know are up for an award, and then Nick Cannon on the Masked Singer. I you know. know because the Emmys have a hundred billion categories a year right. that they need four different shows for, and it's like, is it does it matter to have one if everyone gets one? But then again, I don't have one, so maybe it does. You know what's crazy is so I was in a show called mm-hmm. Dino Dana, which is a kids show, and mm-hmm. I uh, yeah. I, f- I found out that there was Emmys. Uh, it was up for an Emmy for best like guest appearance, and I was like, "Hang on, if I had submitted myself, mm-hmm. I could have been up for best guest appearance on a children's show yep. for Dino Dana." That would be my, a daytime my, Emmy, I assume. My yes, yeah. my turn as Ashley's stressed out mom, I think, was exceptional. Anyway, yeah. it just makes me laugh because I was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay, new new life goal. I'll start applying for Emmys for stuff that I'm." We'll in. start with a Gemini Award, even though they don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, start start reasonable. Bella Thorne, who, by the way, was also on The Masked Singer. She was last year's Flamingo. Yes, I watch it. She began her career at the age of six in the Farrelly Brothers film Stuck on You, then went on to play one of the kids in Big Love, the Disney Channel series Shake It Up, and the films Blended and The Duff. This past summer, she joined the subscription service OnlyFans and earned a million dollars in her first 24 hours of joining thanks to her charge of $200 for what she claimed would be nude photos of her. Wait, what? I need this one explained. This is crazy. She said Um, she had nude photos on her OnlyFans that you had to pay a $200 tip for. (gasps) And everyone bought it. Well, I think it was like a sexy photo. I don't think she was nude. Um, And so then, anyway. She was like cupping her own boobs or something? Yeah. Wow. The debacle that resulted saw many users demanding refunds and OnlyFans putting limits on the amounts that people can charge on the platform. So, But she still caught her million, right? I don't think she has to give it back. Wow. Yeah. She was born on this day in Pembroke Pines, Florida in 1997. This was a huge thing on the internet when it happened. Also because I follow a lot of porn stars and a lot of <laughs> a lot okay. of people in the adult industry make their money on OnlyFans. It's a I it's a see. rather shaky technological platform I where see, basically you charge a subscription rate and then people who subscribe can see whatever you post on there. Some people do there are I think there are like self-help gurus and stuff like that who use it legitimately, but a lot of a lot of like people in the adult industry use it as a way to Make money for you to watch them, whatever, showering, having sex, all that stuff. Oh, wow. Um, so now a lot of people are really angry at her because of the fact that, like, there's all these limits now because of her kind of pulling a swindle. As far as I'm concerned, if you're willing to pay $200 just to see a photo of someone naked simply because they were famous in the Disneyverse, you deserve everything you get after, and she should keep right. that money. Also, like, if she's going to put it on OnlyFans... It's not going to be terribly hard for, I mean, even if a, some plebe can't screen capture it and throw <laughs> yeah. it up on their Facebook, certainly some hacker could, you know, yeah. it's not hard to do a screen take of anything. So just wait, if you really need to see what her nips look like, which But I also know. $200, like, I mean, I would sell my mother up the river just to sniff Jason Statham's armpit. But when it comes to seeing him <laughs> naked, I mean, a dick is a dick. Eventually, like, they, yeah. how different could it possibly look than anybody else's, really? Right, you know? right. So. Well, speaking of a dick is a dick, yeah. Matt Damon made his film debut <laughs> in the film Mystic Pizza. Do you want to keep going? Or no, you, you go do? ahead, please. Uh, you have to read right. it in your Boston accent, though. I forgot he was in Mystic Pizza. Well, yeah. Mystic Pizza's Connecticut, so it's a little more subdued. But uh, Mystic, by the way, is where my parents spent their honeymoon. How lovely. Uh, Continuing to make brief appearances in movies until the screenplay. Okay, I'll go for it. That he co-wrote with Ben Affleck that was turned into the film Goodwill Hunting. So good. 
making them both stars and earning Damon a Best Actor nomination and winning them both Oscars for Best Screenplay. Damon went on to star in The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Bourne Identity, The Ocean's Eleven remakes, and True Grit. Plus, he's been nominated for more Oscars than the, for The Martian. That was good. He, he ate potatoes a lot. Invictus and for producing Manchester by the Sea. It was good. I thought Michelle Williams was the best thing in it, even <laughs> though I know you don't buy her as being from, you know, low class. Anyway, he was born on this day in Boston in 1970, which means he has money because who who's born in Boston? Everybody's True. born outside. Uh, yeah, I mean, if maybe Michelle Williams could have done more convincing poor hair. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you can't blame her for that. I will say one thing about Matt Damon. Um, my sister had some very fun, funky friends that um, secretly went to Harvard. <laughs> like they were they were um, very, very artsy people uh, and lovely. And that's a whole story in and themselves. And they were really, really lovely people. But um, one of them, their best friend, I think, was Matt Damon's roommate at Harvard. So, you know, uh, he definitely had a lot of opportunities given to him. I think a lot of people don't know that he went to Harvard. Oh yeah, no, a lot, they uh, because of the way he became famous with that movie as well. They like to play up this idea of him being some kind of like working class hero, uh, right. made good. But yeah, right, right. Uh, also, because it's a it's an image that suits Ben Affleck a lot better. Yes, but, but uh, n- neither being true for either one of right. those bros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think Matt Damon is like the second ugliest man in the entire world. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I always think he and Jesse Plemons are the same person. So I know, because he's the ugliest man in the entire world. You thought I was going to say Marco, I know, because we all feel that way about Marco, but it's what, actually he's Jesse ugly? Plemons. No, I don't. I don't feel that way about my... Wait, what? <laughs> I, okay, I maybe truly, it's just me. I truly don't feel that way. I truly feel like my husband is is just so charming and handsome. And well, listen, uh, even a blind chicken can find a peck of corn every once in a while, Amanda. Everybody's got somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that. All right. Moving on to my favorite on the list. Sigourney Weaver can barely be seen in her film debut. She's the she's in one long shot in uh, Annie Hall. But her next film in 1979 is one that changed her life. As Ripley in the 1979 science fiction action classic Alien, Weaver became the first woman to be the lead in a film franchise with her returns to the role in three sequels, including receiving an Oscar nomination for Best Actress in the 1986 film Aliens which for a horror movie is pretty special. She also appeared in The Year of Living Dangerously, Dave, Ghostbusters, and earned two more Oscar nominations the same year in 1988 for Gorillas in the Mist and Working Girl, becoming the first double acting nominee to lose both. More recently, she was in A Monster Calls and is set to appear in the Avatar sequels. And she was born on this day in Manhattan in 1949, and I believe her real name is Susan. Oh, isn't that interesting? I didn't know. I always yeah. wonder where Sigourney came from. Yeah. Um, I always think it's interesting when the same actor has two of the same awards or in the same category. I always think, like, do they go and tell all the people, like, let's give this production the shaft? You know, like, <laughs> like which does it split the difference and, and, and decrease their odds if they're nominated twice? I was well, that. Until her, no, because uh, every time, and it hasn't happened that many times, but anytime anyone has been nominated in both acting and supporting, you, always for different films, except in one case, um, they've always won one. Uh, she was I the see. first person to lose both, and then it's happened a couple times since. But uh, Emma Thompson lost both in 93, but she had won the year before, mm-hmm. um, and Julianne Moore lost twice as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I remember so. that with her. Interesting. Well, I don't think he has any Oscars, but he has some Emmys. Chevy Chase was a regular on two seasons of Saturday Night Live, for which he did win two Emmy Awards. And, of course, he left because he was the hot ticket there and needed to go fulfill his his destiny. And actually, Bill Murray came in, right? I think so. To replace him? Yeah, Yeah, to replace him. And uh, he was also supposed to be in the original Ghostbusters, but he was just too famous, and they put Bill Murray in that, too. Before hitting it big in the movies, Foul Play, Caddyshack, Fletch, and the Vacation films, then later found success on five seasons of Community. He was born Cornelius Crane Chase on this day in New York City in 1943. Not really a fan of his, i got to say. Uh, most people aren't, especially because his off-screen personality is a lot more famous than anything else these days. Um, for being um, for being arrogant and awful. yeah, yeah, and also his most beloved uh, roles are well in the past, unless you're somebody who watches those National Lampoon's movies over and over again. Uh, but those I are mean, the only ones that have stayed current. Uh, yeah, and I think Christmas of all of them is probably the most right. endearing yeah. of all of them. I, he doesn't come off, you know. They, they suffer from 80s syndrome, a lot of those movies. You know? Also, someone needs to do a, a podcast or a show about people who left TV shows to pursue their film careers and what happened after, because it really is fascinating <laughs> in so many cases. Like, we yeah. talked about Lady Sybil not long ago. Yeah, yeah. But there's, like, Shelley Long and Chevy Chase and, right. Um, right. you know, just so many people and with varying degrees of success, you know. It's interesting now because TV is in such – we are, I will argue it, always that we are currently in this era um, from starting with the Sopranos in the golden age of television. Mm-hmm. And um, it is in as high regard, like I would argue that an Emmy is almost the same as an Oscar, but that sure. didn't used to be the case, right? Definitely not so, the case. In fact, the worlds did not mix in the past as yeah. they do now. Uh, so now it seems silly when someone like Lady Sybil leaves that popular a show in order to right. pursue a movie career. Cause it's like, right. you're doing fine. Unless she was going to, Unless she was being offered the lead on another show, it, that would make right. more sense. Um, right. While as George Clooney was one of the last of the era of like mm. leaving TV to go into the movie world, and he's the gold standard of people who made mm-hmm. a success of it. You know, I I have to tell you, I mean, you know, I'm a woman in my 40s, but my dream, oh, and I'm an actor, and my dream was always TV. It was never anything but mm-hmm. TV. I never really, I do films now. Um, you know, I do whatever I get now, but um, it was always TV because even as a child, I thought that's if you know you're shooting 13 mm-hmm. episodes of something, that's 13 times you get paid versus once. <laughs> that's how I you're always always so it. practical. I was. I my dream was to be a soap star. That didn't. I didn't ever really get to live my dream. But I mean, uh, if my, you have the discipline for it, I would love to do it. If I thought I had the stamina, those people are athletes. I mean, that yeah. is, you know, it's it's no. very the the hardest um, the hardest acting to do is always the lowest uh, regarded. Mm-hmm. You know, and like soaps are for people who can tough it out there's well, nothing the i've never worked box. harder than when i've done um community theater like that's the hardest i've ever yes. worked in my entire life and yet yes. that's like the lowest of the lowest yes yes so. i don't know mascotting is that in terms of paid acting <laughs> jobs i feel like mascotting is pretty low on the entertainment you know but you need more. to be a real trooper to do that i couldn't do it um yeah i i always said i'm on the lowest rung of the entertainment ladder but i'm on it <laughs> oh that's so sweet so plucky 
Yeah. yeah, and yet. Well, if I ever get back into acting, Amanda, I can tell you I'll be happy with whatever uh, I'm hired for that pays Listen, me. Listen, so. anytime you want back in, you just you just let your girl Amanda know I'm All good right. for the hookups. All I right. am. Um, but yeah, no, soaps were always, but it's a dying art. There's no soaps anymore. I know. Anyway. Anyway. Martin Henderson appeared on the Australian soap Home and Away before going to Hollywood with John Woo's Wind Talkers and the American remake of the Japanese horror film The Ring. He starred in the film Torque and appeared in the musical Bride and Prejudice as Mr. Darcy, while more recently he was on Grey's Anatomy. He was born on this day in Auckland, New Zealand in 1974. He was okay on Grey's. I don't think he really He's been okay in everything. He had a really hot look when he first broke out. He was very handsome when he was young. Sure. He's aged like a straight guy now. You know, he looks fine, but it's not That's the same. what they like on Grey's, though. Aged yeah. like, age like a straight guy is the other title of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, right. It's like, let's take somebody that every that all the, the, the middle-aged women like myself, um, and P.S., I only watch it because my husband loves it. Right. Um, but let's take a guy that you all would have liked when you were 21 yep. and and throw him in as a love interest for totally. all these even though he's a little actors. bit boxier now than he was before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was very handsome and he had every opportunity to become a star, but it never really happened because I don't know that there was anything overly special about him, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he did his part. Bride and Prejudice is a wonderful film. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Well, Jeremy Davies graduated from ADA and starred in David O. Russell's first feature, Spanking the Monkey, then followed it with supporting roles in Nell, Twister and Saving Private Ryan. More recently, he appeared on Sleepy Hollow, Justified, and was in the Lars von Trier film, The House That Jack Built. He was born in this day in Saugus, California in 1969. Karen Parsons is best known as Will's cousin Hilary Banks on the hit sitcom Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She followed it with the show Lush Life, the films The Ladies' Man and Thirteen Moons, and this year was in the film Sweet Thing. She was born on this day in Hollywood, California in 1966, and I always laugh when I think about her because... A very good friend of mine told me her dad loved her on Fresh Prince. And I just love the idea of this old Greek man being like, that is a very pretty girl. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> like, I just love that he picked her out of everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just never know. Um, well, because she was beautiful, but like she was never sold as. Right. right you know, like right. she was snotty and selfish and uh, wore those big hats and whatever. And it just always made me laugh that like this old Greek dad was like, That's the one. My ex back in high school had a real thing. I think it was high school. Had a absolutely loved Karen from Will and Grace. Like thought she was the hottest thing, which tells you a lot about him, I feel. But you kind of are in her category. So that makes sense. Yeah, I think so back then. Now she's gotten quite thin now. So she's almost a little different. She still plays that thing. But um, anyway, Anne Marie Duff starred on the original British version of Shameless, then went on to play Queen Elizabeth I in the miniseries The Virgin Queen, and was nominated for a BAFTA for her role as John Lennon's mother in Nowhere Boy. Currently, she's on Sex Education, which I hear is great, and His Dark Materials, which I hear from people who like that kind of thing, is great, and she was born on this day in London, England in 1970. She used to be married to uh, James McAvoy, who's very cute. Yeah. Okay. Kristana Loken made her debut on one episode of As the World Turns. She later appeared on Mortal Kombat Conquest, but made headlines when she became the first female Terminator in Rise of the Machines, the second sequel to James Cameron's 1984 classic in 2003. More recently, she was in Body of Deceit and Purity Falls, and was born on this day in Ghent, New York in 1979. 
You might recall that in Pulp Fiction, Bruce Willis tells Maria de Medeiros that his chopper belonged to Zed, but Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Well, Zed was played by Peter Green, who had also been given an acclaimed performance in Lodge Kerrigan's independent film Clean Shaven and had a role in the mega-hit blockbuster The Mask. This year, he appears in the Tesla biopic starring Ethan Hawke and was born on this day in Montclair, New Jersey in 1965. Early in his career, Ian Hart played John Lennon twice in the biopic of their early days, Backbeat, and the critically acclaimed experimental film, The Hours and Times, which is really good. Later, he appeared in Ken Loach's Land and Freedom, the Will Smith thriller Enemy of the State, and Neil Jordan's Michael Collins. Recently, he appeared in the critically acclaimed God's Own Country and episodes of The Last Kingdom. He was born on his day in Liverpool, England in 1964. Edward Zwick's first feature film as director was the romantic drama About Last Night. Oh, yes. Then later he graduated to a more epic fair with Glory, Legends of the Fall, and The Last Samurai. He won an Oscar for producing Shakespeare in Love and was born on this day in Chicago in 1952. You know who else won an Oscar for producing Shakespeare in Love? Yes, we do. A man you call Weinstein. Weinstein. There were three of them, right? And a woman there, too. Uh, there's like five of them or something. Yeah, there's a team. Um, and I believe Harvey purposely gave himself like the actual produced by credit because he wanted to take an Oscar home. Cause usually mm. he was like, he, he wasn't actually the credited producer. He was, cause he was the studio head. Mm. Uh, well, something that's one like way that. to get women. Another yeah. way is uh, <laughs> yeah. assaulting them. Yeah. Oh yeah. He covered all the angles. Uh, Donna Giliotti was the the female producer. That's who, yeah. I knew it was an Italian woman. I just it's also a project that like was initiated in the early 90s, maybe late 80s for Julia Roberts and went from one studio to the other. So it had basically collected a lot of producers by the time it finally got uh, made. That's why there's like 10 of them. I see. I yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. I yep. see that happen in our lives. She might have gone through life as one of Mia Farrow's 14 children whose names we don't know, but Sunyi Previn is still making headlines 28 years later after her mother discovered that she was having an affair with Farrow's then-boyfriend, Oscar-winning filmmaker Woody Allen. Sunyi has always maintained that she and Allen never had anything going on between them before she was of age and that she survived years of abuse from her mother a claim that is supported by her brother, Moses. Her marriage to Alan has been the one thing she has been most famous for, though she has also raised two children and graduated from Drew University with a master's degree in special education. Her year of birth is not known as she was orphaned as a child and adopted by Pharaoh and Andre Previn in 1977, but a bone density scan done on her at the time she was adopted put her between five and seven years old. Her official birth date is October 8th, 1970, and she celebrates 50 today. Yeah, I mean, she's certainly the most controversial on this list today. (laughs) I mean, for what it's worth, they are still married, right? Well, here's the thing. I'm not going to tell anybody what to believe. Um, There's actually a really interesting documentary on YouTube that sort of looks at the the details and how they've been interpreted and blah, blah, blah. And I find it Mm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, there is something to be said about the fact that this woman is like, I mean, she's been with him for 30 years and she's telling you what has happened to her and what her life has been mm-hmm. and what she believes. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, she's obviously, I don't know, like, um, uh, hypnotized or has Stockholm syndrome Stockholm, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yeah. at some point you have to accept the fact that some people just make choices you don't like. Right. You know? 
Right. I mean, yeah, I, there's, there's, there's obvious, I mean, I think part of the problem is that uh, there's, there's an obvious power imbalance, but that wouldn't be the first marriage where there was. I think <laughs> one of the misconceptions about her is that she was, um, his, Woody, right. we're talking about Woody Allen, yeah. um, that she was his and Mia's stepdaughter. Right. But it was actually Mia and Andre Previn's. Yeah. Pre- Previn's. I mean, I guess he was. And according to Sun Yi, she, he was never like a father figure to her or anything like that. And, right. Because he never lived with Mia. Don't forget, they never actually lived together. Right. Um, I mean, it. it listen, the, I I don't like Woody Allen. I I don't personally. I don't like his choices, and <laughs> I don't like a lot of what he's created artistically. I think he. Um, He's extraordinarily problematic, personally. That's what I think. But anyway, I, I do I do think that people forget the fact that they are still together, that, um, you know, for what it's worth, that she's, you know, an educated woman and a mother. And, uh, has well, and that people also erroneously combine the two scandals, basically, that they uh, associate with him, mm-hmm. uh, basically mm-hmm. saying that one proves the other, which I don't really think logically works out. I also find mm-hmm. it interesting that Mia Farrow's non-white kids all talk about how abusive she is, and her white yeah. kids all talk about what a saint she is. I find that I, very I interesting. Part of the problem was in the 70s, a lot of white people had savior syndrome, sure. thinking that they were helping, you know, and uh, it was, for me, the most troubling part of, of reading Julie Andrews' long um Oh, seven. right biography because right. she she actually got the idea to ad- from, adopt yeah, Vietnamese yeah. children from Andre Previn and Mia yeah. Farrow and she's yeah. like oh you got yeah. Vietnamese babies we want Vietnamese babies yeah. and then let's just not actually like let's and park them, didn't in see them for like eight years yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean yeah. just park them with a nanny and at which you know it, it wouldn't be the first Hollywood kids to be parked with a nanny but anyway it's all a challenge and um there's a power imbalance on all sides certainly Anyway, she's definitely uh, one of the most controversial figures, but um, there was definitely an age difference that was nasty, even if she was of age. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it's cool to run away with your girlfriend's kid uh, at all. Um, but there's a certain point at which, you know, again, she she is a grown woman. Like, stop treating her like she's locked she in a is, cage yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Well, she was yeah. 21 when they ran away together. That's technically But they had been together, now. right? No. Well, well we, don't know. we don't we don't know. I mean, I would not be surprised, but we don't know. There's Nasty. never been any uh, proof of that. And again, like, how much do you hate your mom that you run away with her boyfriend? You know, right. But then again, when she she says that Mia beat her over the head with the telephone receiver when she found out about them. So she probably hated her quite a lot. Um, yeah. You know, anyway. Well. Just just a dirty, nasty thing, no matter how you look at it. But whatever it is, whatever happened, they are happily married, yeah. or so they claim, and she's happily a mom and a bunch of other things. Quite frankly, I think they're all people that I wouldn't want to have much to do with. Right. Like, on all sides, they're right. all a huge mess. But I'm not going to lie to you. If you offered me a role tomorrow, I would take it. I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I don't. Wouldn't. I wouldn't I don't expect you to. like... I mean, I would expect me to believe me. I've done a lot of things that are. <laughs> well, also, we're not the I... kind of people who would be held accountable anyway. You know what I mean? Like, we're not. No one's it's... going after all the people who have one role, one line in a Woody Allen movie for why they were right. Them, but still, right? It's the Kate Winslet right. and the uh, Ellen Pages and all that. Right, so right. Okay. Well, anyway, Peter Jean Bio Hernandez is a very successful singer under the name. Bruno Mars, yeah, singing the hits Just the Way You Are, Grenade, and The Lazy Song, among many others. He has sold over 130 million records worldwide, released seven, seven sorry, number one singles, won 11 Grammy Awards, and holds three Guinness World Awards, all from just three albums. 
He's pretty amazing. He made his film debut as Little Elvis in Honeymoon in Vegas in 1992 and later provided the voice of Roberto in Rio 2. And he was born on this day in Honolulu, Hawaii in 1985. I think he's an amazing mimic. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think that's skill, one of his skills. He's a virtuoso, there's no question. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he can mimic so many styles. You throw him something and he can give you a replica of obviously oh. Prince or Little Richard or like you he he manages to take a lot of different styles and do an exact replica of you know that how that artist would interpret that and he strikes song. me as someone who was like that when he was like four years old yeah 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 like i think he's a virtuoso but in terms of what is his sound and his style um i think part of the thing for him is i don't know that he necessarily has one because he just is like oh i'll write a song like that and oh now i'll create a song like that you know yeah anyway Burr Steers had a successful directorial debut with Igby Goes Down in 2002, which led to his directing the Zac Efron films Seventeen Again and Charlie St. Cloud. Then later, the comedic Jane Austen adaptation Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. He was born on this day in 1965. Well, it's quite a day, October 8th. Matt Damon, Sigourney Weaver, and uh, and Nick and Emmy nominee Nick Cannon. <laughs> but most importantly, in my mind, the, the one that wins all the awards is the Fluffanutter. So go and sure. go and whip up a sandwich made of marshmallow fluff, if you can find it, yeah. some peanut butter, and some very fresh, soft, white, white bread. See you and, tomorrow. And have a great day. <laughs> By the way, this was born on this day. And uh, you can check us on all our social media channels and chime into any of the conversation or let us know who we've missed or who you love. And once again, I'm Amanda Barker. I'm Bill Antonio. And this was born on this day.